Chapter Two of Beric the Briton by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. City and Forest. The house of Caius Muro had been built six years before on the model of one owned by him in the Tuscan hills passing through the hall or vestibule with its mosaic pavement on which was the word of welcome salve beric entered the atrium the principal apartment in the house from each side at a height of some twenty feet from the ground extended a roof the fall being slightly to the centre where there was an aperture of about eight foot square through this light and air made their way down to the apartment the rainfall from the roofs and openings falling into a marble tank called the impluvium below the level of the floor which was paved with squares of colored marble on either side of the atrium were the small sleeping chambers the bed places being raised and covered with thick mats and rugs the walls of the bedchamber as well as of the atrium were painted in black with figures and landscapes in color on the center of the side facing the vestibule was the tablinium, the apartment of Caius Muro himself. This formed his sitting room and study. The floor was raised about a foot above that of the atrium, and it was partly open both on that side and on the other, looking into the peristylium, so that while at work he commanded a view of all that was going on in the atrium and in the courtyard. In the center of this was a fountain surrounded by plants. From the courtyard opened the triclinium, or dining room, and also rooms used as storerooms, kitchens, and the sleeping places of slaves. At the back of the peristinium was the oasis, or state apartment, where Caius received distinguished guests, and where, in the lifetime of Julia, entertainments were given to the ladies of the colony like the triclinium this room was also partially open at both ends affording the guests a view of the graceful fountain on the one side and of the garden on the other in winter wooden frames with heavy hangings were erected across these openings and that of the tablinium for the romans soon found the necessity for modifying the arrangements which although well suited for an italian climate were wholly unfit for that of britain the opening in the centre of the atrium was then closed with an awning of oiled canvas which admitted a certain amount of light to pass but prevented the passage of rain and snow and kept out much of the cold there was a narrow passage between the atrium and the Perisilium, this was called the forces above the chambers round the atrium was a second story approached by a staircase from the peristylium here were the apartments of the ladies and of the female slaves as beric entered the atrium a man who was reading a roll call of parchment rode to his feet welcome beric he said warmly all hail preceptor the lad replied are all well here all well beric we have looked to see you before and berenice had been constantly asking me when you were coming 
I have been absent over four years, you see, Beric replied, and it was not easy to get away from home again. Now I must speak to Caius. He crossed the apartment and stood at the entrance to the labyrinthium. Caius looked up from a military treatise he was perusing. Ah, Beric, it is you. I am glad to see you again, though I am sorry to observe that you have abandoned our fashions and taken to the native garb again. It was necessary, Caius, Beric said. I should have lost all influence with the tribe had I not laid aside my Roman dress. As it is, they regard me with some doubt as one too enamoured of Roman customs. We have heard of you, Beric, and indeed report says that you speak well of us and are already famous for your relations of our history. I thought it well that my countrymen should know your great deeds, Beric said, and should see by what means you have come to rule the world. I received naught but kindness at your hands, and no prisoner's lot was ever made more easy than mine. To you and yours I am deeply grateful. If your people all behave as kindly towards the natives of this country as you did to me, Britain would be conquered without need of a drawing a sword from a scabbard. I know not that, Merrick. To rule one should be strong as well as kind. Still, as you know, I think that things might have been arranged far less harshly than they have been. It was needful that we should show ourselves to be masters but I regret the harshness that has been too often used, and I would that not one of us here, from the governor down to the poorest soldier, was influenced by a desire for gain, but that each was animated, as he assuredly should be, only by a desire to uphold the glory and power of Rome. But that would be expecting too much from human nature, and even among you there are plenty ready to side against their countrymen for the sake of Roman gold, in that they have less excuse than we. Custom and habit have made our wants many, and all aim at attaining the luxuries of the rich. On the other hand, your wants are few, and I see not that the piling up of wealth adds in any way to your happiness. That is true, Caius. I quite agree with you that it is far more excusable for a Roman to covet wealth than for a Briton. And while I blame many officials and soldiers for the harshness with which they strive to wring all their possessions from my countrymen, I deem their conduct as worthy and honorable when compared with that of Britons who sell their country for your gold. We must take the world as we find it, Beric. We may regret that greed and the love of luxury should influence men as we may grieve that they are victims of other base passions, but it is of no use quarreling with human nature. Certain it is that all vices bring their own punishment, and that the Romans were a far nobler race when they were poor and simple in the days of the early consuls than they are now with all their power, their riches, their luxuries. Such is the history of all peoples of egypt of persia of greece and carthage and methinks that rome too will run the course of other nations and that some day far distance maybe she will sink beneath the weight of her power and her luxury and that some younger and more vigorous people will bit by bit wrest her dominions from her and rule in her place as yet happily i see no signs of failing in her powers 
she is still vigorous and even in the distant outskirts of the empire the wave of conquest flow onward happily for us i think it can flow no further this way there is but one island beyond this to conquer and then as in western gaul and iberia the ocean says to rome thou shalt go no farther with that to the south the east and the north a similar barrier checked our progress then we could rest and be content and need no longer waste our strength in fresh conquest or in opposing the incursions of hordes of barbarians from regions unknown to us even by report i could wish myself beric that nature had placed your island five days sail from the coasts of gaul instead of placing it within sight then i might have been enjoying life in my villa among the tuscan hills with my daughter instead of being exposed at any moment to march with the legion against the savage mountaineers of the west ah here comes berenice he broke off as his daughter attended by her old nurse entered the atrium from the vestibule she hastened her steps as she saw beric standing before her father in the tablium i knew you would come back beric because you promised me but you have been a long time in keeping your word i am not my own master at home any more than i was here berenice he said and my mother would not hear before of my leaving her i have only come now for an hour's visit to see that all goes well in this house and to tell you that i have not forgotten my promise the next time i hope to pay a longer visit at daybreak tomorrow we have a party to hunt the wolves which have so multiplied as to become a danger in the forests of late i should like to go out to see a wolf hunt beric i fear that would not be possible he said the woods are thick and tangled and we have to force our way through to get to their lair but last winter they came close to the town and i heard that some came even into the streets yes they will do so when driven by hunger but they were hunting there and not being hunted no baroness i feel that your wish to see a wolf cannot be gratified they are savage beasts and are a great trouble and no loss to us in winter they carry off many children and sometimes devour grown-up people and in times of long snow have been known to attack large parties and in spite of a stout resistance by the men to devour them in summer they are only met singly but in winter they go in packs and kill numbers of our cattle i should like to go into the woods the girl said earnestly i am tired of this town my father says he will take me with him some day but when he goes west but so far i have seen nothing except this town and veruleum and the country was all just as it is here fields and cultivation we could see the forests in the distance but that was all my father says that if we went west we should travel for miles through the forest and should sleep in tents but that we cannot do it till everything is quiet and peaceful oh beric i do wish the britons would not always be fighting beric smiled the british girls baroness said they wish the romans would not always be fighting it is very troublesome she said pettishly i should like everyone to be friends and then there would be no need to have so many soldiers in britain and perhaps the emperor would order our legions home 
father says that we ought to look upon this as home now for that the legion may remain here for years and years but he said that the other day that he thought that if everything was quiet here he should when i am sixteen years old obtain leave from the governor and go back to rome for two or three years and i think though he has not said so outright that he will perhaps retire and settle there it would be much the best for you beric said earnestly i should be sorry because you have been very kind to me and i should grieve were you to leave me altogether but there may be trouble here again some day and i think it would be far better for you to be back in rome where you would have all the pleasures and delights of the great capital and live in ease and comfort without the risk of your father having to march away to the wars i know that if i were your father i would take you back he says that his villa there is exactly like this and you have many relations there and there must be all sorts of pleasures and a grand spectacles far beyond anything there is here i am sure it would be better for you and happier i thought that you would be quite sorry she said gravely so i shall be very sorry for myself beric said as next to my own mother there is no one i care for so much as you and your father i shall miss you terribly but yet i am so sure that it would be best for you to be at home with your own people that i should be glad to hear that your father was going to take you back to rome but baroness did not altogether accept the explanation she felt really hurt that beric should view even the possibility of her going away with equanimity and she very shortly went off to her own apartment while a few minutes later beric after bidding good-bye to caius started to rejoin Budoic, whom he found waiting at the edge of the forest that evening berenice said to her father i was angry with beric today, father were you child what about i told him that perhaps in another three years when i was sixteen you would take me to rome and that i thought perhaps if we went there you would not come back again and instead of being very much grieved as i thought he would he seemed quite pleased at the idea of course he said he was sorry but he did not really seem to be and he says he thought it would be very much better for me i thought he was grateful father and liked us very much and now i am quite disappointed in him caius was silent for a minute or two i do not think beric is ungrateful he said and i am sure that he likes his baroness he said he did father then he cared for us more than anyone except his mother but if he cared for us surely he would be very very sorry for us to go away beric is a briton my dear and we are romans by this time he must have thoroughly learned his people's feelings towards us i have never believed as some do that britain is yet completely conquered and that when we have finished with the ciliaries in the west our work will be completely done beric who knows his countrymen may feel this even more strongly than i do and may know that sooner or later there will be another great effort on part of the britons to drive us out maybe a year maybe twenty but i believe myself that some day we shall have a fierce struggle to maintain our hold here and beric who may see this also and who knows the feelings of his countrymen may wish that we should be away before the storm comes 
There is but little doubt, Berenice, that we despise these people too much, still less that we treat them harshly and cruelly. Were I propator of Britain, I would rule them differently. I am but the commander of a legion, and my duty is but to rule my men. I would punish and punish sternly all attempts at rising, but I would give them no causes for discontent. We treat them as if their spirit were altogether broken, as if they and their possessions were but our chattels, as if they possessed no rights, not even the right to live. Some day we shall find our mistake, and when the time comes, the awakening will be a rude one. It is partly because I see dimly the storm gathering in the distance that I long to be home again. As long as your mother lived, this seemed a home to me. Now I desire rest and quiet. I have done my share of fighting. I have won honor enough, and I may look before long to be a general, but I have had enough of it. Long for my quiet villa in the Alban Hills, with an occasional visit to Rome, where you can take part in its gaieties. I can have the use of the library stored with the learning of the world. So do not think harshly of Beric, my child. He may see the distant storm more plainly than I do. I am sure that he cares for us, and if he is glad at the news that we are going, it is because he wishes us away and in safety before the trouble comes. Nero has come to the imperial throne, and the men he is sending hither are of a widely different stamp from the lieutenants of Claudius. The latter knew that the Britons can fight, and that, wild and untutored as they are, it needed all the skill and courage of Astorius and Vespasian to reduce them to order. The newcomers regard them as slaves to be trampled upon, robbed and ill-used as they chose. I am sure they will find their mistakes. As long as they deal only with the tribes, thoroughly subdued the Trinobanates, the Cantile, the Belgae, and the Dumnanol, all may be quiet. They dare not move. But the Iceni, the Brigantes, although they both have felt the weight of our swords, are still partly independent, and if pressed too severely, will assuredly revolt. And if they give the signal, all Britain may be up in arms again. I am scoffed at if I venture to hint to these newcomers that there is life yet in Britain. Dwelling here in a Roman city, it seems to them absurd that there can be danger from the savages who roam in the forests that stretch away from beyond the river at our very feet to the far distant north, the regions of which we are absolutely ignorant. I regard what Beric has said as another warning. But I thought Beric was our friend, father, and you told me you had heard that he was teaching his countrymen how great is our history. Beric is a Briton in the midst of Britain, child. He is a partially tamed wolf cub, and had he been sent to Rome and remained there, he would have done credit to our teaching. He is fond of study and at the same time fond of arms. He might have turned out a wise citizen or a valiant soldier, but this was not done. He has gone back again among the wolves, and whatever his feeling towards us personally may be, he must side with his own people. 
did they suspect him of being roman at heart they would tear him in pieces i believe that as he knows our strength and that in the end we must conquer his influence will always be on the side of peace but if arms are taken up and he will have no choice but to side with his countrymen and should it be another ten years before the cloud burst he may be one of our most formidable opponents don't blame him child he only shows his regard for you by wishing you back safely in rome before the trouble arises you are just in time beric boduoc said as the young chief joined him the sun is but a hand's breadth above that hill here are your spear and sword where you hid them though why you should have done it i know not seeing that they have not yet ventured to order us to disarm and if they did we should not obey them Budoic. but as the trinobitants have long been forbidden to carry arms it might have caused trouble had i gone armed into the town and we don't want trouble at present i went on a peaceful visit and there was no occasion for me to carry my weapons but give me a piece of that deer flesh and an oaten cake we have a long march before us why did you not eat with them no i was of course invited but i had but a short time to stop i did not wish it to seem as if i had come for a taste of roman dainties again as soon as the meal was eaten they set out it was but a track through the forest but although the trees had been cleared away for a width of twenty feet there was but little traffic for the road was seldom traversed save by an occasional messenger from prestugius it had been used by the legions at the time that astorius had built a line of forts stretching from nen to the severn and by it they had advanced when the iceni had risen but from that time it had been unused by them as the iceni had paid their tribute regularly and held aloof from all hostile movements against them prasutugius was always profuse in his assurance of friendship towards rome and save that the roman officers visited his capital once a year to receive their tribute they troubled but little about the iceni having their hands occupied by their wars in the south and west while their main road to the north ran far to the west of camalodium we shall arrive about midnight beric said as they strode along we may or we may not Budok said curtly what is to prevent us Budok? well the wolves may prevent us beric we heard them howling several times we came along this morning the rapacious brutes have not been so bold for years and it's high time that we hunted them down or at any rate made our part of the country too hot to hold them i told borgon before i started that if we did not return by an hour after midnight it would be because we had been obliged to take to a tree and that he had better bring out a party at the first break of day to rescue us but we have never had any trouble of that kind while we have been hunting boduoc no but i think there must have been some great hunts up here in norfolk and that the brutes have come south certain it is that they have in the last week been great complaints of them and as you know it was for that reason that your mother ordered all the men of the tribe to assemble by tomorrow morning to make war against them the people in the farms and villages are afraid to stay out after nightfall no man with arms in his hand fears a wolf or even two or three of them 
in the daytime, but when they are in packs, they are formidable assailants, even to a strong party. Things are getting as bad now as they were 20 years ago. My father has told me that during one hard winter they destroyed full half our herds and that hundreds of people were devoured by them. They had to erect stockades round the village and drive in all the cattle. Half the men kept guard by turns, keeping great fires alit to frighten them away. When we have cleared the land of those two-legged wolves, the Romans, we shall have to make general war upon them. For truly they are becoming a perfect scourge to the land. It is not like the wild boar, of which there might with advantage be more, for they do but little harm, getting their food for the most part in the woods and furnishing us with good eating as well as good sport. But the wolves give us nothing in return, and save for the sport no one would trouble to hunt them, and it is only by a general order for their destruction or by the offer of a reward for their heads that we shall get rid of them. Well, let us press on, Boduoc. I would not that anything should occur to prevent us starting with the rest in the morning. We are walking a good pace now, Boduoc, and shall gain but little by going faster. One cannot run for six hours, and beside it is as much as we can do to walk fast in the dark. Did we try to run, we should like enough fall over a stump or root, and maybe not arrive there even though the wolves stopped us not. For two hours more, they strode along. Boduoc's eyes had been trained by many a long night spent among the woods, and dark as it was beneath the overarching trees, he was able to discern objects around him and kept along in his regular stride as surely and almost as noiselessly as a wild beast. But the four years spent in a Roman town had impaired Beric's nocturnal vision, and though he had done much hunting since, his return home, he was far from being able to use his eyes as his companion did, and he more than once stumbled over the roots that crossed his path. You will be on your head presently, Boduac growled. It is all very well for you, Boduac, who have the eyes of a cat, but you must remember we are traveling in the dark, and although I can make out the trunks on either hand, the ground is all black to me, and I am walking quite at hazard. It is not what I should call a light night, Boduoc admitted. Well, no, considering that there is no moon, and that the clouds that were rising when the sun went down have overspread all the sky, I don't see that it could well be darker. Well, we will stop at that hut in the little clearing, somewhere about a half a mile on, and get a couple of torches. If you were to fall and twist your foot, you would not be able to hunt tomorrow. What is that? Beric exclaimed as a distant cry came to their ears. I think it is the voice of a woman, Boduoc said, or maybe it is one of the spirits of evil. Beric, during his stay among the Romans, had lost faith in most of his superstitions. Nonsense, Boduoc. It was the cry of a woman. It came from ahead. Maybe some woman, returning late, had been attacked by wolves. Come along, he shouted, and he started to run followed reluctantly by his companion. Stop, Beric, stop, he said in a short time. I hear other sounds. So do I, Beric agreed, but without checking his pace. My eyes may be dull, Bedoic, but they are not so dull as your ears. Why don't you know the snarling of wolves 
when you hear them. Again the loud cry of distress came on the night air. They have not seized her yet, Beric said. Her first cry would have been her last had they done so. She must be in that hut, Bodoic, and they are trying to get at her. Maybe her husband is away. It is wolves, Bodoic agreed in a tone of relief. Since that is all, I am ready for them. But sword and spear are of no avail against the spirits of the air. We must be careful, though, or instead of us attacking, we may be attacked. Beric paid no attention. They had, as they passed the hut that morning, stopped for a drink of water there, and he saw now, before his eyes, the tall, comely young woman with a baby in her arms and two children hanging to her skirts. In a short time, they stood at the edge of the little clearing by the side of the path. It was lighter here, and he could make out the outline of the rude hut, and, as he thought, that of many dark figures moving around it. A fierce growling and snarling rose from around the hut, with once or twice a sharp yell of pain. There are a half a dozen of them on the roof, Bodoak said, and a score more around the hut. At present they haven't winded us, for the air is in our faces. I think we had best make a rush at them, Budowak said, shouting at the top of our voices as go, and bidding the woman stand in readiness to unbar the door. They will be scared for a moment, not knowing how many of us there may be, and once inside we shall be safe from them. Let us get as near as we can before we begin to shout, Beric. They may run back a few paces at a voice, but will speedily rally. Holding their spears in readiness for action, they ran forward. Within thirty yards of the hut, Butterwick raised his voice in a wild yell, Beric adding his cry and then shouting, Unbar your door and stand close to it as we enter. There was, however, no occasion for haste. Budowak's sudden yell completely scared the wolves, and with whimpers of dismay they scattered in all directions. The door opened as Beric and his companion came up, and they rushed in and closed it after them. A fire burned in the hearth, a dead wolf lay on the ground, the children crouched in terror on a pile of rushes, and a woman stood with a spear in her hand. Thanks to our country's gods, you have come. She said, a few minutes later, and all would have been over with me and my children. See, one has already made his way through the roof, and in a half a dozen places they have scratched holes way nigh large enough to pass through. We heard your cry, Beric said, and hastened forward at the top of our speed. It was for you that I called, the woman said. By what you said this morning, I judged you would be returning about this hour, and it was in hopes you might hear me that I cried out, for I knew well that no one else would likely be within earshot. Where is your husband? Beric asked. He started this afternoon for Cardam. He and all the able-bodied men were ordered to assemble there tonight in readiness to begin the war against the wolves at daybreak. There is no other house within a mile, and even had they heard me there, they could have given me no assistance seeing there are but women and children remaining behind. They are coming again, Bodewick broke in. I can hear their feet pattering on the dead leaves. Which shall we do, Beric? Pile more wood on the fire, or let it go out altogether? I think that we shall do better without it. It is from the roof that they will attack, and if they have a light here, we cannot see them till they are ready to leap down. 
whereas if we are in darkness we may be able to make them out when they approach the holes or as they pass over any of the crevices i don't know Budowak. i think we should do better if we have light we may not make them out so well but at least we can use our spears better than we could in the dark when we might strike them against the rafters or thick branches the woman at once gathered some of the pieces of wood that are falling through as the wolves made the holes and put them on the hearth where they soon blazed up brightly i will take this big hole Budowak said is the only one by which they can come down at present do you try and prevent them from enlarging any of the others there was a sudden thump overhead followed almost immediately by several others they get up by the wood pile the woman said it is against that side of the hut and reaches nearly to the eaves there was a sharp yell as Budowak thrust his spear up through the hole when he saw a pair of eyes shining in the firelight appear at the edge at the same moment there was a sound of scraping and scratching at some of the other holes the roof was constructed of rough poles laid at short distances apart and above these were small branches on which a sort of thatch of weeds and rushes standing close under one of the holes beric could see nothing but from the sound of the scratching he could tell from which side the wolf was at work enlarging it he carefully thrust the point of his spear through the branches and gave a sudden lunge upward a fierce yell was heard followed by the sign of a body rolling down the roof and then a struggle accompanied by angry snarling and growling outside that is one less beric Budowak said i fancy i only scratched mine ah he exclaimed suddenly as without the least warning a wolf sprang down through the hole before it could gather its legs under it for a fresh spring Beric and the woman both thrust their spears deeply into it. Budowak kept keeping his eyes fixed on a hole and making a lunge as another wolf peered down in readiness to spring after the one that had entered. For hours the fight went on. Gradually the holes, in spite of the efforts of the defenders, were enlarged and the position became more and more critical. At least twenty of the wolves were slain, but as the attack was kept up as vigorously as at first, it was evident that fresh reinforcements had arrived to the assailants. We cannot keep them out much longer, Merrick, Budawak said at last. It seems to me that our only plan is to fire the hut, and then each taking a child to make a rush across to the trees and climb them. The sudden burst of fire will drive them back for a little, and we may make good our retreat to the trees. What time is it? Thank you, Budawak. It must be two or three hours past midnight, and if Borgon carried out my instructions, help ought to be near at hand. I would that we could let them know of our peril. There is a cow horn, the woman said, pointing in the corner of the hut. My husband uses it for calling in the cattle. Bodoak seized the horn and blew a deep hollow blast upon it. There was a sudden pattering of feet overhead and then silence that has scared them beric said blow again budok if we can but gain half an hour our friends may be up again and again the horse roar the cow horn rose but the wolves speedily recovered from their scare and crowded on the roof we can't hold out much longer beric said as two wolves that leaped down together had just been dispatched 
get a brand from the fire. At this moment there was a sudden scuffle overhead, and the three defenders stood, spear in hand, ready to repel a fresh attack. But all was quiet, and a loud shout rose on the air. Thank the gods, here they are, Budawak said. He listened a moment, but all was still round the hut. Then he threw the door open as a score of men with lighted torches came running towards it and raised a shout of satisfaction as the light fell upon Beric. Thanks for your aid, my friends, he said as they crowded round him. Never was a shout more welcome than yours. You were just in time. As you may see by looking at the roof, we were about to fire it and make for the trees, though I doubt if one of us would have reached them. As the men entered the hut and looked at the ragged holes in the roof and the bodies of nine wolves stretched on the ground, they saw that they had indeed arrived only just in time. Among the rescuing party was the man to whom the hut belonged, whose joy at finding his wife and children unhurt was great indeed, and he poured forth his thanks to Beric and Bedoak when he learned from his wife that they had voluntarily abandoned the wood where they could have been secure in the shelter of a tree in order to assist her in defending the hut against the wolves. You must all come with us, Beric said. The wolves may return after we have gone. When our hunt is over, I will send some men to help you repair your roof. Where are the cattle? They are safe in a stockade at the next village, the man said. We finished it only yesterday and drove in all the cattle from the forest and collected great quantities of wood so that the woman might keep up a great bonfires if the wolves tried to break in. A few minutes later, the party started on their return. As they walked, they could sometimes hear the pattering of footsteps on the falling leaves, but the torches deterred the animals from making an attack, and after three hours walking, they arrived at Cardoon. The village stood on a knoll rising from swamps through which a branch of the stour wound its way sluggishly. Round the crest of the knoll ran two steep earthen banks, one rising behind the other, and in the enclosed space, some eight acres in extent, stood the village. The contrast between it and the Roman city, but two and twenty miles away, was striking. No great advance had been made upon the homes that the people had occupied in Gaul before their emigration. In the center stood Potter's abode, distinguished from the rest only by its superior size. The walls were of mud and stone, the roof high, so as to let the water run more easily off the rough thatching. It contained but one central hall surrounded by half a dozen small apartments. The huts of the people consisted but of a single room with a hole in the roof by which the smoke of the fire in the center made its way out. The doorway was generally closed by a wattle secured by a bar. When this was closed, light only found its way into the room through the chinks of the wattle and the hole in the roof in the winter. For extra warmth, the skin was hung before the door. Beyond piles of hides, which served as seats by day and beds at night, there was no furniture whatever in the room, save a few earthen cooking pots. Potter's abode, however, was more sumptuously furnished. Across one end ran a sort of dais of beaten earth, raised a foot above the rest of the floor. This was 
thickly strewn with fresh rushes, and there was a rough table and benches. The walls of the apartment were hidden by skins, principally those of wolves. The fireplace was in the center of the lower part of the hall, and arranged on a shelf against the wall were cooking pots of iron and brass, while on a similar shelf on the wall above the dais were jugs and drinking vessels of gold. Hams of wild boar and swine hung from the rafters, where two were suspended wild duck and fish, and other articles of food. Parker's own apartment led from the back of the dais. That of Barrack was next to it, its separate use having been granted to him on his return from the Camelodium, not without some scoffing remarks upon his effeminacy in requiring a separate apartment, instead of sleeping as usual on the dais, while the followers and attendants stretched themselves on the floor of the hall. End of chapter 2 Recording by Gary Oldman